You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. You know, most of us never imagined we would be living in such a divided world. And many of you probably think, uh, it's because of this, these, this younger generation. But you just heard from this generation, didn't you? You see what God is doing in our young people when we, as a community of faith, believers in Christ, pour into them and help them to do things to where their faith journey expands and they, they grow and they realize what's most important. And yet, Teresa read that beautiful poem last night in the, in the chapel there at Camp Glisten, The Dash. And in that poem, it said, it's not all that you've amassed, or your wealth and your fame and all that that matters. It matters the difference that you make in the lives of others. What's your legacy? Brianna, you already have a beautiful legacy, already at 18 years of age. You know, my grandfather fought and lived through World War II, and he was convinced that our world would be drawn together in harmony forever. He thought that and would be peaceful. He was convinced that the sacrifices were so enormous that he was certain that we would never permit our world to become so divided again. But here we are. Nations are increasingly hostile toward one another. Communities are divided around issues of education, development, the status quo, and even human sexuality. After being interviewed by the school administration, the prospective teacher said, let me see if I've got this right. You want me to go into that room with all those kids, correct their disruptive behavior, observe them for signs of abuse, monitor their dress habits, censor their t-shirt messages, and instill in them a love for learning. You want me to check their backpacks for weapons, wage war on drugs and sexually transmitted diseases, and raise their sense of self-esteem and personal pride. You want me to teach them patriotism and good citizenship and sportsmanship and fair play and how to register to vote and how to balance a checkbook and apply for a job. You want me to check their heads for lice, recognize the signs of antisocial behavior, and make sure that they all pass the final exams. You also want me to provide them with an equal education regardless of their handicaps or race and communicate regularly with their parents in English, Spanish, or any other language by letter, telephone, newsletter, and report card. You want me to do all of this with a piece of chalk, a blackboard, a bulletin board, a smart board, a few books, a big smile, and a starting salary that qualifies me for food stamps. You want me to do all this, and then you tell me I can't pray. Interesting, isn't it? And yet, you'll watch on TV, elected officials, when tragedy strikes, something horrible happens, they'll say, let's pray. Let's pray for this. We'll be praying for you. Our country was founded on prayer, on biblical principles. Do the research. Go ahead and study all you want to you won't find anything different than that, folks. It's who we are. We can't escape it. We can't hide from it. People are trying to, but you cannot. 
And let me just say this. Because of young people like these young people, there is prayer in schools. Because of teachers like this teacher here, there's prayer in schools. Even in the public schools, there's prayer. There's lives that are being transformed. God is moving in a mighty way in our world today. Even though it may not seem like it to you, he is. And he's on the cusp of doing something that's radical and transformational. You might refer to it as a revival. I believe it's even more powerful than a revival, folks, what he's getting ready to do. And that's why it's important that we focus today on the theme of the message. Will our children have faith? You see, religion is divided with each claiming to have a firm grip on the truth. Denominations and congregations are divided over doctrine and what constitutes faithful discipleship and mortal sin. And families are divided by competitive agendas, rival priorities, and the daily pressure to survive and thrive in an increasingly competitive culture. We're just plain exhausted, aren't we? Because we live in this increasingly competitive culture. Getting harder and harder, isn't it? Have you seen the housing market lately? I mean, really, there's some of you in here are real estate people. You know that house you used to drive by that was built in 1974, you know, used to go over maybe, you know, 89129 $667,000 now, you know? And we're expecting these young people who are working really hard to be able to afford something that, like that and live in that. Inflation, gas prices, all of this stuff that's hitting us so hard. You want to know why? You're like, man, I am glad I came to church today because I've been reading Newsweek. Don't read that. Okay? Aren't you glad you came? Prayer, folks. It's what we're missing. Getting our eyes fixed and focused on the author, creator, perfecter, pioneer of our faith, Jesus Christ, who brings together peace. He rids us of this division and this chaos that we're facing. If you're going to bed at night and you feel guilty, I told the teenagers this, and you're confused and there's chaos in your life, you're going to bed without the Lord. You've focused on yourself and you've given in to the culture and you've allowed the world to taint you, make you toxic. Paul warns us of this. Isaiah warned us of this. My grandfather warned us of this. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing will is for your life. And that's Romans chapter 12, verses 2, 3, 4. And the very beginning of that is offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your form of worship, offering yourselves to him. That's what we need to do, not just as a country, but as a world, to come back together, folks. Those who seek to follow Jesus must be asking if this is the way Christians are to live. With all this division and competitiveness, you've got these questions in your notes today. You may see them up on the slides as well. Are we really measuring up to our calling as children of God? Are we? Is there a better way for us to practice our faith? These are Fill in the blanks. These are questions for you to take today and answer them. Pray over them and answer these questions at some point today or this week. Are we living the prayer of Jesus, Holy Father, 
Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. He intended for us to be one in the Lord, one in the Spirit, one with each other, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one. Not all these other little gods, but one God, one focus, one mind, kingdom-minded, Christ-like, the attitude of Christ. Everything we do, I am a blank for Christ. I am a student for Christ. I am a teacher for Christ. I am a financial officer for Christ. I am a business owner for Christ. I am a computer programmer for Christ. I am retired for Christ. Everything that I do is for Christ. And I'm identified by Christ. I am a Christian mother. I am a Christian teacher. I am a Christian mother who's expecting Sarah back there. Hey, Sarah, good to see you. You see what I mean? We are identified in one. But the one in three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father has given us a great gift. And that's his transformational power through his Son, Jesus Christ. We must remember that. And that's who we are. That's who we are. We are his. Do others look at us and see God at work in our life together? I believe so. Brianna just got up here and she thanked you. Because it was, because of your support and some community members who aren't even connected with this church. But now they are because they drove onto this campus and got their car washed and vacuumed, by the way, if they wanted it. And Windex on the windshield. Thank you so much for that. You see what I'm saying, folks? We support each other. We see a need and we respond to it. We need a thousand lunches, we get a thousand lunches. Somebody's in desperate need, needs a hotel for the night, needs a gas tank full, which is a lot of money nowadays, did you ever think the tips that you make at the restaurant would go all towards your gas? SJ called me several weeks ago. He said, Dad, I made $80 in tips tonight. I said, great, son. He said, yeah, I had to put $78 in gas in. I netted $2, Dad. I said, welcome to the real world, son. Yeah, he really enjoyed that. That's what you get for wanting a big old truck, son. Anyway. Is our way of living life-giving rather than life-draining? Do you drain people? You got that personality that just people see you coming and they automatically, they're beginning to be drained because of your negative energy. Or do you speak life? Do you have positive energy? Oh, I'm trying, Stephen, but it's hard. You know, I don't mean to, to, to keep picking on him, but I got up pretty early Saturday morning. Moved somebody up even earlier than I was. And he was out on the little porch, he was reading his Bible. There was Bruce Duff back there. He had his Bible out. Just the organic way of doing your devotion. He didn't have all this stack of books over here by so-and-so and this woman and this man and this man and this, goo, this guy. And this. It was just straight-up Bible, which I believe is the best, by the way, folks. I believe in the Bible. It's all I need. I do have other devotion books, just so you know. You're like, I'm not going to give him any more devotion books. You can. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to read them because I have a lot of them. But he was just reading straight up from the Scripture. How about that? And he's on our leadership team. So that's a challenge to all the leaders on our leadership team. Be in the Word. Right, Doug? Be in the Word. For sure. And they are. 
pretty sure. Check up on them. If we live a life of faith, then the answer to all these questions that you got in your notes this morning, the answer to those questions will be yes. Deep within us, I believe all of us want to, to live that faithful and fruitful life, even though we've often turned away from God's invitation to holy living. You know, we're not the first to struggle with faithfulness to the highest we know in Jesus Christ. The author of Colossians reminds us in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." Here's a clear reminder that the follower of Jesus Christ is God's chosen one and as such deserves and demands a certain way of living, a way of living that is characterized by faith in Jesus Christ. But we're living in a day where we have to rethink our apologetics. And I know that's a big word for a lot of you, apologetics. That's a big word that means making a defense of our faith. While we believe what we believe, why we believe what we believe. Author and speaker Chip Arthur said recently, today evil is called good, good is called evil. You might have heard Marty refer to that in her prayer. Today evil is called good, good is called evil. Bitter is called sweet, darkness is called light, and light is called darkness. Twenty-seven hundred years ago, the prophet Isaiah said, when this happens, it brings great sorrow. We have to be deeply concerned for what we see happening in the culture and in the church. A lot of you are here because you're hearing things you've not heard before, and you're encountering, encountering the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. I told Katie last night as I was anointing her that she has that transformational spirit within her. Yes, she's quiet and elegance over here. She's mysterious. But they have a gift. I mean, when those two girls, when they do smile, they melt your heart. And you immediately discern the Holy Spirit in them. He's wired them. To be agents of change, catalysts. And they're going to do great things. All these young people are going to do great, grand, wonderful things for Christ. Chip Arthur goes on to say that he believes we're in a day when we have to rethink our apologetics. I agree. We have to return to the truth. And it starts with relationships. You can't just go up to somebody and say, let me tell you the truth. You can't just do that. What is that going to do? You remember the days I was down on a beach retreat years ago with a youth group. And I was out on the beach with just a few guys hanging out. We're throwing football. And this guy walks up to us, and he's got these tracks. And he says, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? I was like, well, it's the middle of the day, and it's really hot. I guess you could say this is hell, but it's beautiful. You know? And those boys were looking at him. I was like, we're not going to do it that way. Uh Uh-uh. 
We're going to develop a relationship. And I did. I played football with those boys on the beach that day. And later that evening, I was able to share the gospel with them because I had a relationship with them. And they tackled me hard in that sand. It was rough. I jumped off the blob yesterday. You know what a blob is? It's a big old inflatable thing in the water. And, and Jacob, 165 year, 65 pound, 68 pound young man, he's, he's at the end here. And I'm supposed to jump on it. And when I hit, he's supposed to go way up in the air. I didn't know the blob wasn't filled with air. It's kind of flat. The air had gone out of it. So I'm, I would show you the video, but I don't want to embarrass myself. And so I, I jumped on it, and I just landed in it, and I sunk into it. And the video shows, shows Jacob. He's sitting on it. He's ready to go way up in the air. And all it is is boop. That's it. It's just this little boop. And then little Joshua, who weighs 65 pounds, and then Mr. 165, 168 pounds, jumps on. Little Joshua goes like 30 feet in the air and lands on his head. It's not pretty, but he's okay. Small kids are resilient. If you and I did that, we would have broken everything. But telling our story, doing crazy things sometimes, uncomfortable things, to develop that relationship and that rapport, and then we can tell God's story. I mean, Jesus was a radical right? But he took those 12 aside and he spent time with them, intimate time, three whole years teaching them and equipping them to take his message in this gospel to the far ends of the world. And he even reached a man, a Roman citizen, by the way, Paul, who hated Christians to become probably the greatest apostle ever. Who wrote, who wrote three quarters of our New Testament. We need to live in such a way, folks, that people are asking us, how do you have a marriage like that? How did your kids turn out like that? How do you handle the adversity coming your way with such an amazing, kind, love, loving attitude? What Brianna just shared with us was powerful. She shared something kind of similar in the Menifee living room last weekend. Ashlyn has shared something similar with me as well and with Karen about how God has just transformed her life through this church and through this youth group. All of these teenagers would tell you that. Every one of them would tell you that. It's because we spend time with them. We pour into them and we love on them. We find the same thing in our women's Bible study group, our women rooted in Christ these women, they have the larger groups, they have the small groups, they have the prayer groups, they hold each other accountable. We see that in our men's groups. When we meet together in our small groups, and we can be, we can be transparent and vulnerable with each other. There's not really a place for men to do that anymore. But we have that opportunity to do that with each other. That's a family of faith. That's a community of faith. Like I told you, I have worked with teenagers in ministry for many, many years. Now I'd say we're going on 30 years. The whole next generation and the millennials, they look at life through a different glass. Many of them go on what they feel. And that's why it's so important for them to experience the power of the Holy Spirit now. And I'm so glad God put it on my heart to anoint them last night and to explain what that means to them and to be blessed. So when sharing our faith... We used to be able to begin with the truth and then express grace. Today, we must begin with grace in order to share the truth. And grace is a shorthand way of expressing the unconditional love of God, the agape love of God with someone, loving them, building a relationship with them, 
and sharing the truth and not watering it down and not compromising it, but letting them know you love them whether they receive that truth or not. But here is the truth. If you haven't read Doug's devotion, his weekly devotion that he put on Facebook and in the weekly email, read it. It expresses that very well. To actually demonstrate that we care, we deeply, deeply care, we share grace and then the truth. Our children, the world, need to see a life that is loving, caring, that puts the needs of others first. We're on this trip, and there's like 300 other teenagers there, and it's time for the meals, and the guy comes out, and he announces how we're going to eat his family style. It's not the Smith house, by the way, but it's still pretty good. And he announces it. And these kids, these middle school kids, are like, Vroom! like they've never eaten. Our kids, what do they do? They hold the door open. And then they walk in because they know there's going to be plenty, of, plenty enough food. And they enjoyed the food. And they were willing to wait on it. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a difference in there, folks. Wow. When they see this door open to share our faith, they want it. They want that faith. So share your faith. Will our children have faith? Today we need to listen closely. As we're going to hear a few things as I wrap up this message today that will help us and our children have faith. This scripture passage from 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 through 10, let me just give you a quick little backstory on that. There's a Hebrew woman. Her name's Hannah. She was barren. She couldn't have children. She was depressed about that. Now, Hebrew theology believed that there were three parties to any conception, the mother, the father, and God. If the couple couldn't have children, it was a sign of divine disapproval, reflected on the woman, not the man. Of course, times have changed. Through the eyes of modern medicine, we see things very differently now. But this story occurred long ago. So we see Hannah weeping in the temple and she's pleading with God for a child. Any child. Any child. Lord, just give me a child. And any child that I have, I will give back to you, God, to be in your service. And lo and behold, Hannah conceives and she bears a son. She waits until Samuel is weaned. Then she takes them to Shiloh and gives him to the older priest, Eli, that we just heard about. Now like Hannah... We're going to experience some disappointment. It's something that we cannot avoid because of our human limitations. How many of you have received some disappointing news lately? And how did you respond to that news? There are two ways you can respond. We can allow it to have power over us, leading us to give up and just stop trying out of fear. Or we can respond by not giving up. I can tell you from experience that disappointments come and go, but determination will outlast setbacks. People that come to my office for pastoral care and counseling, I've got tissue boxes there, and they come in and they may be using those tissues, but many times when they leave, they're not crying anymore because I can offer them something the world cannot offer them. I can offer them hope, and hope has a name, and that name is what? Jesus. I can offer them Jesus. So you go to your counselor. You go to your counselor, and I'm sure they can offer some good things. 
But those of us who know Jesus Christ, we have a gift that we can offer. And it's not ours to keep, it's ours to give away. It's the greatest gift, folks. There is no hope without it in Jesus Christ. Hannah's setbacks moved her to pray even harder, and her determination paid off. And if you will pray, and pray and be obedient and not selfish, your determination will pay off. Her son Samuel, that name means God heard. God heard. Samuel becomes the most powerful man in all of Israel. Kings are powerful, but Samuel is the king maker. No individual becomes king without Samuel's blessings. We learned about Samuel on the retreat. Children are always a central part of God's plan. They become agents of new beginnings. The baby Moses, hidden in the bulrushes. The boy Samuel, the boy Jeremiah, the manger of Bethlehem. So many chapters in biblical history begin with the birth of a child. God has this startling way of entering human history through our children who become the sign of hope and renewal. These young people are a sign of hope and renewal. It should really get you motivated and encouraged to see what God is doing through these young people. And we saw it in 300 other middle schoolers. We saw God doing that through them, even though they rushed through to get their food. They were being fed, fed by the Holy Spirit, because what was happening there on that holy dirt, as Melody called it, my daughter spoke on the retreat, she calls it holy dirt. It was sacred, and it was a revival, just as there's a revival happening here. And I said before, I don't even think that word encompasses all that God is doing just here on this corner in this sacred space. And yes, Liz, when they start breaking ground out here for this pavilion and doing work in here, it's holy dirt. It's holy. And it's anointed. And I know that God is going to work on you, work on your heart. Because when the doubt starts creeping in, how are we going to do that? How are we going to afford that? Where's the money going to come from? Doug reminded us the other night at our leadership team meeting. This church raised $1.5 million in cash in 50 days on faith. That's God. That's not man. That's not a bunch of spreadsheets. That's what God does for people who are faithful. And I can promise you, I'm not even going to say I guess, I can promise you those of you who were faithful and you gave, and you gave to where you were uncomfortable giving, you could testify right now what God has done since then, couldn't you? You could stand up in this sanctuary and we could go to 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. We're not going to do that. But we could. We could. This is what God has done in my life when I was faithful and when I gave beyond my comfort zone. And when I served beyond my comfort zone, and when I stood up before the church, even though in my flesh I was really nervous, God said, you need to speak, Brianna. And when you are obedient, you see what he does? It's not just you who's changed. It's those who hear you and listen and watch that are transformed. It's a bigger word than change. Transformation is a metamorphosis. That's a biblical word that Paul talks about. Change is just something in the world. Changes overnight and doesn't happen very long and might, might last a week. But transformation is eternal. In 1976, John Westerhoff wrote a book called 
Will Our Children Have Faith, which I borrowed the sermon title today. Notice that the title is not Will Our Children Have Knowledge. Westerhoff says that at the end of the church's work with children isn't so much knowledge as it is faith. Faith is essential to Christian life. The family and the church are natural workshops in which we and our children put together our faith. We need both, Paul says. Paul says this, that faith comes from what is heard. That's Romans 10, 17. If we spend any time around children, we've heard some children in this service today. We've heard a baby in this service today. That is glory to my ears, folks. I love it. Hear that? (laughs) If it's not glory to your ears, it needs to be. We know that children pick up an amazing assortment of information and they assemble it in fascinating ways. They're often better listeners than adults are. Though we prepare our Sunday school lessons and boy, do we have the best Sunday school teacher around, Jeff Willis and Lori Willis. Yes, we do. And next week, he's going to be teaching at the mansions, independent living at 3 o'clock. So if you're in town, not skiing somewhere on the water, go here and peep teach and preach. We might have the best lessons, worship and sermons. We can't quite predict what children are going to take away from all of it. What we can be sure, however, that when we earnestly speak the language of faith, hope and love in our church and in our families, the effect will not be lost on even the youngest. Jesus was always looking for faith. We see this in the healing stories when he asked again and again, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Faith is what gets people well. Faith is what's going to get Molly well. Faith is what's going to get you well. But those who wait on the Lord shall be renewed. They shall be given strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall soar and not faint. They shall run and not be weary. It's what gives us a future. That's what faith does. Jesus' concern about our faith even extended to the boundaries of history. One day he said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes, this is Luke 18, 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question for us as we move into this new season of growth, renovation, possibility, the fall. Will we have faith? You've been presented today with some amazing information from Liz and Kathy. Do you realize that in a few weeks, week after now, yeah, about three weeks from now, two and a half weeks, we will celebrate three years of being in this sacred space, in this chapel. You know what God has done? He's done great things. We are here today by faith. Do you have faith? Do you believe? Do you believe that we are one? One spirit, one Lord, and one baptism? Let's pray that right now. Join with me, would you? Lift your hands up so you can receive this today. Lord, we desire to be one. One in the spirit. One in Christ Jesus. One in the Lord. One together. Lord, we desire to work together for one purpose, and that is to grow your kingdom here on this earth. So we ask, Lord, that you give us 
the faith of a mustard seed. Even the tiny, tiny mustard seed can move mountains, Lord. And that we would take this faith and we would share this faith, beginning with grace that leads us to sharing the message of truth with this next generation, but also, Lord, with the world. Help us to be strong, to be bold, to know that you go with us, you guide us, and when necessary, you carry us. We claim this today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.